larger publishers are still the gatekeepers of what ends up being passed around and read by the largest number of people, which gives them a lot of power to control what we learn, think, and read. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Bayer. Come on in. You know, Julie, there are social justice issues in places you might not think there would be. Yeah, there are social justice issues all over the place. How about in the publishing industry? Hmm. I think I can see why there would be. The number of major publishers is shrinking, so I would have to guess representation is shrinking. Actually, about 60 to 85% of English language books today are published by one of five publishers. Five, that is not many. While it seems like there are a lot of publishers out there, the five big companies actually control about 500 imprints So it looks like there's a whole lot more publishers. Those are brands imprints. They're brand names that a publisher uses when they do business. Right. In other words, multiple publishers publish their work under what are called imprints, which have their own names, their own logos. They look like a different thing, but they're owned and controlled by the main publishing company. Of which there are about five. Yes. Each imprint typically is a part of the larger publishing house that focuses on specific areas or demographics of the market. So in other words, they focus on what books to publish so that they can make the most money. It's all about profit, not really about quality. Correct. In 2013, what was the world's biggest publisher at the time, Random House, and another publisher, Penguin, which was the world's second biggest one, merged to become Penguin Random House. Yeah. So at that time, the big six publishers accounted for about 50% of American book sales. Everybody else, like all of the independent publishers, university publishers, nonprofits, they were dominated by these few very big ones. And the important thing about controlling the market for books, the way these huge publishing houses do, is that books represent more than just a thing, like a fun thing to do. They represent ideas and art, and basically they represent free speech. Right, Julie. If you control books, you control information and ideas that get to us, the people, or that don't. So the big publishing houses have a lot of power and control over printing and books, over what books get to be printed and what gets to be printed in books. Yeah, and what doesn't. As the big houses have become even bigger, again, I always talk about this, but capitalism, it's about making more money. It's not about art or free flow of ideas and information. It's about money. They end up giving people they think what the publishers think they want, which is what they think will sell, and then it gets popular and becomes what people actually do want. 
Well, it's a limited choice that they pick from. Yeah. So the publishers start to care more about their financial bottom line than, than the ideas, the literature, the quality of the writing, the creative art that they're supposed to be putting out there. Right. So it seems like the smaller publishers, like with other things, that's how they start out with all these great ideas about how they're going to put out, you know, ideas. And they become the ones to try to offer a broader range of ideas in a broader range of categories and to offer more diverse voices. And this seems so important in so many areas of literature, like politics, history, and even the art of memoir and story. Yeah, telling people stories, that's so important. But these smaller publishers don't have the huge platforms for promotion and sales that the gigantic publishers have. Like everything else that gets swallowed up by capitalism and mass consumption, a lot of times these important voices and perspectives can get lost. Seems like the bigger the publishers get, the less risks they want to take in what they offer to the public for reading pleasure. The more money they make, the less willing they are to take a risk that might have them lose money. No, it's so counterintuitive in a way, because you'd think if they have a ton of money, that's where they could take those risks. But it's like they become all about the money. It's just sad. That's what happens. That's what money does. Yeah. Seems like a lot. Yeah, it's like people become obsessed with it. But the what happens is the safer, popular stuff they publish to satisfy the masses you know, then the masses feel like, well, that's what they want. They don't know what else is out there because it's not. So the kind of popular, easy, safe, non-challenging stuff becomes what sells. And then it gets more and more cookie cutter and less creative. So there are still some privately owned book publishers that seem more creative and reflect more of the individual tastes of their owners. But it seems like today everyone is trying to sell the same kind of books to the same big demographics. Right. It's all about statistics and data. And unfortunately, if you're an author, you might have to listen to the editing advice that they think will make your work sell rather than offering your true personal vision or expertise, your own bit of creative expression or even resistance. In other words, if you're an author, your expression can get limited and homogenized too. Which is terrible when you're writing. And like with so many things, the big ones keep getting bigger. Exactly, Cindy. Recently, in 2022, two of the so-called big five planned a merger because they needed to be even bigger. (laughs) The giant publisher of Penguin Random House tried to become Penguin Random Simon & Schuster, (laughs) both of which together already control a majority of the U.S. publishing market. Yeah, these two alone, Penguin Random House and... Simon & Schuster, have hundreds of imprints under which books are published, making it hard to realize just how big they are until you really look at that. Yeah. And Penguin Random House is so much bigger than the other publishers out there, even the big ones, that they tried to buy Simon & Schuster for twice the asking price, which was $2.2 billion, and which not even any of the other big publishers could attempt I call that a monopoly, you know, that's just me. It was an attempt at one. I mean, they really wanted to make sure no one else could possibly afford it. Penguin Random House works in over 20 countries and along with the others in the big five have a lot of influence in 
which books and which authors are published in the United States and even how much authors are paid. Yeah. The other giant publishers are smaller than Penguin Random House by billions of dollars. The even smaller independent publishers get nowhere close to that. Well, fortunately, the recent attempt at that merger was struck down in court, which stopped it and stopped that huge consolidation. So there are still only five giant publishing houses, and now they control over 80% of the trade book market in the United States. And that is a huge percentage. Another big player in the book market that we have to mention, because everyone knows about it, is Amazon. They have their own ways to control and dominate the retail end of things and affect the book market and sales and what authors earn. They can sell books for prices that work for them, but it can hurt the authors. The huge amount of book sales that go through Amazon means it is a major player affecting work and profit of authors and publishers. Yeah, Amazon is actually way bigger than even the biggest publishing house. None of them are a true match for pushing back on the way it's taken over the sales and reviews of books. Amazon, Penguin Random House, and the other giants grew so big because they they run well. <laughs> they run like well-oiled machines. Actually, we probably shouldn't compare the way Amazon is run with the way they run publishing houses. They're just all here together because they all peddle and control our access to authors and books. They also have a lot of collective knowledge and we have to acknowledge that there are some good people working there. It's just that the system is very unfair. And they don't get that big without sometimes pushing out the smaller guys to get ahead. And in this case, they also have an impact, not always positive, on what we see as art and the ability to be creative and allow totally free speech. Right, it's because they can curate what we see, what gets published, what goes out to the world. A lot of people these days go with self-publishing because they can't get published any other way. And usually it's because they've already shopped their manuscript to commercial publishers and just got a lot of rejections. The larger publishers are still the gatekeepers of what ends up being passed around and read by the largest number of people which gives them a lot of power to control what we learn, think, and read. That is the scary thing that we're trying to convey here. Yeah. They are in charge of what we read. Therefore, a lot of what we think about and what we know about. A lot of people say that the huge publishing houses pay too much attention to their bottom lines and they won't take the risks that might bring us more creative, interesting, out-of-the-box thinking and writing. And I think we agree with that. They have the money to potentially take these kinds of risks, but it seems like the more they make, the more they're afraid to lose. Yeah, obsession with money. And a lot of small publishers are feeling the pressure and they don't necessarily want to take the risk because if they take a risk and it doesn't go well, they can shut down. You know, they have to worry about their struggling against these giant publishing houses and they're just trying to stay afloat. Yeah. How do we balance a strong publishing industry with the need for a free press that's not just shaped by mega power? That is an excellent question, Cindy. <laughs> the Freedom of the Press Foundation at freedom.press protects, defends, and empowers public interest journalism. Also at writersandeditors.com, you can find major writers organizations and allied organizations that fight for creators' rights, interests, and ethical behavior. 
Finally, at wgfoundation.org, you can find a list of Black-led organizations, collective production houses, and lists that are dedicated to supporting and uplifting Black writers. All of the above. So necessary. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.